the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. The week began with our Victoria Day show, which was an opportunity to talk about all that's great to visit here in our own province. With Victoria Day as the unofficial start to summer, Troy Young of Attractions Ontario joined me to talk about fun and cost-effective staycations. Well, I've been doing this for 15 years now, and I've gotten to see parts of this province I never thought I would see. There's so much to see and do here. You know, Canada is pretty much on everybody in the world's bucket list. Uh, It shows up on every list of places of uh, people eventually want to come to. We're like, why eventually? Why not come right now? But uh, when we look at Ontario, too, pretty much anything you could want to see and do is right here in this province. So I've got a whole list of things that I would love to be able to share with your listeners about. When you think about years gone by and people coming to Ontario to see the great attractions, Niagara Falls is one of the wonders of the world, and it is still an amazing destination. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Niagara Falls, because actually one of my favorite hidden gems in all of Ontario is down in Niagara Falls. It's the Whitewater Walk. And it's right there on the Niagara Parkway as you've gone north out of Niagara Falls, heading up towards uh, Niagara on the lake. Mm -hmm. And you can actually get right down to the edge of the Class 6 rapids that go through the Niagara River. It's the closest you can actually get to them, and it's mesmerizing. Anytime we've had anybody... Uh, that's come this way, I've said, listen, you're, I'm taking you to the Whitewater Walk, and we've gone down, and everybody's been blown away. So to me, it is one of the hidden gems. Uh, the only other way to really get up close to see those rapids, you can either take a Whirlpool jet boat tour, which is also a lot of fun, uh, or you can go with a Niagara helicopter ride over top of them. But if you want to get close to them, go to the Whitewater Walk, my hidden gem in southern Ontario. In our very own city of Toronto, uh, we talk about uh, water destinations. Our best feature, arguably, is the lake and the, and harbour front. Uh, that could get us started in a conversation about this city. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love going down to harbour front in the summer. There's always, always so many things going on down there. But if you want to talk about some specific attractions and things to do right in Toronto, I'm going to talk about some hidden gems. Uh, have you been on a Segway tour down in the distillery district? Yes, I, I know. I haven't done it myself, but I've seen it in action. Yeah, well, go try it out. I mean, everybody should try a Segway at least once. It's far easier than you think. Yes. And once you get going on it, it's so much fun. And the the tour in the distillery district is great. They also do it up if you want to get out uh, into the woods. You can do it up at uh, Horseshoe Resort near Barrie. The same people that operate the one at the distillery district operate up there. So you can go and do both of those locations. But then there's places like Evergreen Brickworks you can take your family to or Fort York. Um, I'm taking my uh, daughter this year to Black Creek Pioneer Village. I mean, uh, they've got a microbrewery on site now, and you can get there with the new TTC stop that gets you off right at Pioneer Village. So great opportunities to, to get out and explore different things in the city. But I'm gonna, this is going to sound like an oxymoron, but I think the greatest hidden gem for residents that live here in Toronto 
is the CN Tower. Uh, well, I was going to ask you about the CN Tower. When's the last time you were up in the CN Tower? Uh, well, within 10 years, I think. Okay, within 10 years. Yes. That's the thing. I mean, most people, we can all see it. I, I can see it from my front porch. How many Torontonians actually take the time to go up it? Only when we have visitors from other countries, <laughs> yeah. truly. And everybody knows it, and everybody wants to come and see it as one of the most visited attractions in Ontario. And to me... The best way to do it, go dine at 360 Restaurant. Because if you get a, a table at 360 Restaurant, you don't have to pay to go up the tower. Right. So you get up the tower for free, and you get one of the most unique dining experiences you're going to get in this city. Yeah, what a wonderful way to celebrate an anniversary or a milestone birthday uh, or a new relationship. Uh, you know, any there's all kinds of occasions. You're, you take somebody there on a first date, you're going to impress them. I think so. I think but, so. Uh, I know I took my parents there for their 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, and lovely. we've had other. I took my wife there for her 40th uh, birthday, too. So, yeah, always great things there. And uh, any Anybody that's gone and done it has been blown away. So we try to bring any guests that we have that come to the city, we take them to CN Tower because most people here in the city don't even think about going up it. It's phenomenal. That was Troy Young, CEO of Attractions Ontario. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Bladder cancer remains one of the most underfunded cancers in this country, but with the great work done by the volunteers at Bladder Cancer Canada, there is at least now heightened awareness of the disease. It's a cause that's close to my heart since my mom, Sandy, died of bladder cancer in 2012. And in memory of my mom, I've been a bladder cancer research advocate since 2015. Joining me to discuss the advances in research and awareness, Ferg Devins of Bladder Cancer Canada, who's also a bladder cancer survivor, and internationally renowned uro-oncologist Dr. Alex Lada at Mount Sinai Hospital. A new class of uh, medication has emerged um, in bladder cancer, but also in other type of cancers like uh, lung or melanoma. The principle is that these drugs redirect our own immune system to recognize the tumor cells and unleash, so to speak, our immune system to kill them. And these classes of medication is called immune checkpoint inhibitors, which basically uh, prevent the tumors to trick our own immune system to recognize them. And once you block the tricking system, then our white blood cells can recognize the tumors and, and, and kill them. And that has, as you can imagine, led to major, major advances. It was first studied um, in patients who had failed chemotherapy and were a subset. Everyone would have hoped that all patients who had failed chemotherapy would be rescued by this new class of, uh, of medication. Unfortunately, that's not the reality. But the good news is that about 25% to 30% uh, do respond. And the really good news, and that has been spectacular, is that some patients who are or have been affected by metastatic bladder cancer, where the tumor just seeded outside of the bladder, are now cured with this new type of medications. The, the, the major problem that we, we do face currently is that 
not everyone responds, unfortunately. And predicting who will respond is the subject of a lot of, of studies currently. Interesting. I mean, it's never a good time or a great time to be diagnosed with a disease, for sure. But I, I have to admit that having been in, in, in the profession for at least three decades now, the last 10 years have seen absolutely spectacular and game-changer um, medication. So it certainly open, opens up a lot of hope uh, for yeah. patients. Ferg, what I find amazing about Dr. Zalata's story is that Bladder Cancer Canada has also been around for 10 years. And a lot of amazing good things have come from this organization, this little organization that grew. Yes, we were we were very, very fortunate in that uh, two of our, well, our co-founders who are, are still with us today, alive and well, uh, survivors of bladder cancer. Uh, David Gutman had his bladder uh, removed. He had a radical cystectomy. That's where they removed the bladder. Yes. And Jack Moon, who had non-muscle invasive uh, bladder cancer, uh, were celebrating 10 years this year. May 11th was the day they got together. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting story too, Jane, because uh, David had called, uh, I think it was the Canadian Cancer Society back when he was diagnosed. And three days later, a, w- a woman with kidney cancer called him back. So, you know, immediately he thought, oh, my gosh, no men must survive this disease. So he and Jack uh, really took it upon themselves, first of all, to create a, a body, an association that could support patients because there was not any patient support directly for bladder cancer patients. So we have evolved with our mission. Uh, primarily, our, our goal is to support our patient community. There are 80,000 bladder cancer patients across Canada, about 9,000 newly diagnosed each year. So we are here to support them, to support their families, their caregivers. That's our primary mandate. Secondly is to raise awareness. Uh, bladder cancer month of May is awareness month. Yes. And, uh, and we, we've kicked off a hashtag sour face selfie campaign where we're, we're asking people to, you know, bladder cancer sucks. So we're asking people to suck a lemon. <laughs> I and love take it. A, take a picture and show us their <laughs> sour face selfie. And we use lemons in our campaign. Uh, we've got a bunch of yellow lemons because yellow should be the color that your urine is. It shouldn't be red. So we have now a, a lemon that's being squeezed with a drop of red blood coming out of that lemon. And it's quite, quite striking creative. It is. To remind, to remind people, if they see blood in their urine, even once you get to your doctor. That was my conversation on Monday with Ferg Devins of Bladder Cancer Canada and uro-oncologist Dr. Alex Lotta at Mount Sinai. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Do you have any long-forgotten traffic tickets, as in tickets that go back 30 years? It's possible you could receive a notice in the mail telling you your driver's license has been suspended until you pay the fine or fines, as well as the cost to reinstate your license. It's a change in tactic following a recommendation in last year's Toronto Auditor General's report. Is this fair, or should offenders be given an opportunity to pay the fines before their license is removed. Libby Snymer spoke with Chief Communications Officer with the City of Toronto, Brad Ross, and Jenna Little, Appeals Manager at X Copper.
It's a pretty widespread problem. It's been happening for quite a few years now. I know that there was the report last year, and so they've been cracking down a lot this year and late last year. But I've been getting calls for the past three years about things like this, and it's not going away anytime soon. Do these drivers get a warning? Because I've seen reports that say they supposedly get a warning, but it's sent to an old address. And I'm wondering, if it's sent to an old address, how do they get the notice that their license is suspended? It's not as straightforward as somebody would think. So the court system is not linked with the Ministry of Transportation's computer system. They're actually two completely different computer systems. So the Ministry of Transportation is updated when we update our license and our health card, and they've always got our information if you're updating it when you're supposed to. Right. The court doesn't get updated with that. So if you move and you're in the middle of a traffic ticket dispute, you have to let the court know and the Ministry of Transportation. If you don't let the court know, they won't know where to send the notice assigned to. They'll actually just send it to whatever is on the file. You're obligated to let both know if you want to make sure that you're getting your court document. We're going to bring in Brad Ross, who is the chief spokesman for the city. Is there anything new kind of impetus for the city to collect? The impetus actually comes from uh, recommendations from uh, last April of 2018 in a Auditor General, City Auditor General report uh, that made recommendations around the improvement uh, of, of managing defaulted uh, Provincial Offenses Act fines. The city began uh, administering courts back in 2002, right. um, and so there's a uh, you know as, as we as we have seen there are there are still some outstanding fines going back to the 80s that. Uh, the the city is playing catch up on, and again, so the impetus is from the uh, an auditor general's report, which which really holds city uh, the city administration to account for ensuring that tax dollars are are being maximized. Shouldn't it be incumbent on the city to make sure that people who have these long ago fines get some kind of notice before kaboom, their license is suspended? The the problem is, and I would go back and say, I think the onus is on the person who got the the, the, the ticket originally to make sure that they pay their fine. But having said that, what happens is, as, as your other guest noted, is that you know people move, and so the two systems, um, you know, the only the only uh, you know address, for example, that we have, uh, we don't have an updated address. We have the original address, and so uh, that's where um, you know clearly there's uh, there's a there's a a, a break in the communication between the two systems. I mean, if anybody thinks that they may have a uh, an outstanding uh, fine that they haven't, um, uh, you know, they haven't paid or they can't remember where where it may stand, is they can email us at POA Court at Toronto.ca and and we'll get you the original ticket and and let you know when it was when it was mailed to you. I mean, you do get a notification of if you, if you didn't pay the fine and you didn't appear in court uh, that uh, that if you were, uh, you know, convicted in absentia, then uh, you need to pay that fine. And this, the, we all we have is the last address and which where that fine was was originally uh, sent. If you do get a, a ticket, pay pay your fine, uh, or or contest it in court if if you feel that um, you know you, you weren't speeding or whatever the ticket may be for. Uh, if you haven't paid it, uh, and a collection agency does call you. Um, 
make arrangements to, to, to make that payment as quickly as possible. We have an obligation at the city to collect unpaid fines, even those going back decades. Uh, it is something that the Auditor General has, has made a recommendation on with respect to um, you know, ensuring that tax dollars are, are being used efficiently and, and making sure that we're collecting every uh, cent that is owed to us, um, and, and we want to be able to do that as, as painlessly as possible for people understanding that decades have gone by, you may have forgotten, but um, eventually uh, but the, the city has will catch up with you. <laughs> okay, Jenna Little, what would you like to leave us with? These are fines that are rightfully owed, and sure, maybe you forgot to pay them. Um, if they are something that's reasonable, i.e. a couple hundred dollars, then just pay them. Um, if there's something that's thousands of dollars and it's really unmanageable or life-ruining, definitely seek legal advice. And I say this only within the context of tickets that have already been completed, and we're talking they're at least three years old. If it's a current ticket, get legal advice before doing anything. That was Jenna Little, appeals manager at Copper and chief communications officer with the City of Toronto, Brad Ross. This is Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. The honeymoon appears to be over. It is early in Doug Ford's mandate, but two new polls show a sharp decline in voter support, primarily because of cuts to public health and child care. The most recent Environics research poll finds that 75 percent of respondents believe Doug Ford's PC government is on the wrong track. John Capobianco is a Tory strategist and political commentator. He joined Libby on Tuesday to discuss the trend. At the end of the day, I've always believed that polls are a snapshot in time. Um, you know, and, and what, what, what we've seen, obviously, is as the premiers had to come out pretty strong pretty early to kind of fix the mess that the Liberals put them in. Um, so, you know, quite frankly, the Liberals were touting that, uh, you know, that they were balanced budget and had surpluses and were spending money like, uh, like we all, you know, we all saw what was in the election platform. And when Premier Ford got elected, uh, he did the responsible thing and did an audit and found out that, in fact, we were $15 billion in debt. Uh, and he, you know, put upon a plan to go out and sort of make sure that we, that that money wasn't put onto the onto the backs of our kids and our grandkids. And I think that with with that, some tough decisions have to be made. And and what you're seeing is he's trying to um, uh, to cut costs and and um, uh, and uh, cut some spending where it's unnecessary. Um, and he's trying to at least maintain some of that. And I think so far he's done a pretty good job in bringing that down into uh, into lower numbers of of debt and without even. It, being a full year of of office. It's very hard from where we sit to sort this out because we have the premier saying this is just administrative cuts. And then we talk to the mayor. He says, no way this can be accomplished just with administrative cuts. The fact that they're retroactive makes everything very difficult. We have some people saying, oh, Toronto Public Health is run by a bunch of lefties who do uh, useless things. Then then we hear it could be school nutrition programs at risk. We have doctors coming out in, in support of this. I mean, uh, just looking at the politics of this, is, is this a danger point for the Ford government? 
Well, it, it certainly anything when when you know when you've had fifteen years of liberals, you know, and to be honest, when you've had fifteen years of of spending uh, and and needless spending and and you know administration growth and all that kind of stuff that's happened over the last little while, um, you, you know, organizations and and uh, you know various union leaders get used to that kind of that kind of living uh, and that kind of you know operational growth. Um, so I think some tough medicine is needed, and and of course it's not going to be liked at the early stages, but I. Think Think quite frankly, as long as jobs keep keep increasing, the economy keeps getting strong, people will realize that what what the premier is trying to do is he's trying to make sure that we are not, you know, getting this debt and this this deficit into uh, into future generations and trying to keep it keep it under control. It's not to say that this is going to be happening all the time. I think it's tough medicine early on because he needs to be able to put some some cost controls in place, Libby. But you know, I assure you that once the books get balanced and things are better, then I think the, the premier will be able to you know put money back into areas where he might have once uh, cut. I think the key thing here is that look, you know, some people will disagree with with the way that the premier is, is trying to do things, um, but the, the, he's acknowledged from the very beginning that he wants to bring fiscal respect, restraint, and accountability back. In fact, he was elected on that. Um, and you're seeing that happen and coming, you know, it's, it's coming to fruition. And yes, you're going to get some mayors and Mayor Tory and others who are going to disagree, and they're going to put their own spin on where they think the money is coming from. But, you know, if the, pre- if the minister and the premier get out there and they basically say, your, your, your funding for dental care is not going to be hit, you know, you're not going to be, you know, education, you're not, be, you know, if teachers aren't being fired, um, they're, they're trying to do their thing to try to cut and enforce municipalities and other organizations to look at some of the over administrative wastes first and foremost before anything else is happening. And I think that's where people will understand over the course of the next little while what the Premier's intention is. That was John Capobianco, conservative strategist and political commentator. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Jan in Niagara phoned to share some good news about her husband's health during Bladder Cancer Awareness Month. My husband suffered from bladder cancer for about five and a half years and has had the tumors taken out probably every six months or three months. And um, then they discovered it in his kidney and thought it was leaking into the bladder, so they took that out. And now because it's been so long and so frequent, there's something called BCG, a bacillus calamitigarin treatment, which was developed for tuberculosis. And they insert a very small amount of this into the bladder. First dose was once a week for six weeks. He went six, and she just checked... uh, two months ago, and he's clear, which is the first time, <laughs> and he just went through, actually, he's in the middle of uh, a batch of three this time, and then she'll go back and check again, and maybe one, just for insurance, one other six-week treatment later on in the year, but we've celebrated cancer-free now for a few oh. months. Diane in Toronto called to say why she thinks Mayor John Tory is disputing what Premier Ford and his cabinet ministers are saying about budget cuts. We elected uh, Premier Ford. Uh, We knew he had to tighten the belt because things were out of control. But I think this latest poll is influenced more so by the rhetoric coming from uh, the people at City Hall, particularly uh, Mayor Tory. Uh, The mayor goes on TV and he says... uh, 
the nutrition programs are going to be cut, the vaccine programs are going to be cut, the little kids won't be able to get their teeth fixed, phone your MPP, write to your MPP. Christine Elliott gets on the TV assuring everyone the nutrition programs will continue, vaccines will continue, and so on. And then, again, Mayor Tory gets on there with the same spiel. Now, we've come to the conclusion this is not about Ford, but his, his really support for the Liberal Party and for Justin Trudeau. Al in Toronto phoned and offered his opinion on Premier Doug Ford's approach to budget cuts. If Ford wants to get his credibility back, he should lead by example and take a 5% cut along his whole cabinet. I think people might appreciate that a little better. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. A lot of great calls, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Joan in Burlington, who's figured out the best way to fund her retirement while staying in her own home. I'm 84 years old. I have been a widow for almost 11 years, and I decided to sell my house so I don't have to worry about mortgages, taxes, upkeep of the house. I rent it back from my daughter and son-in-law. I took the money, the equity I had in the house, and I have invested it. And I'm, I'm quite comfortable. The reason I wanted to stay here rather than go to an apartment is because I have vision problems. I know the house upside down. I know the area where I live. And I'm quite comfortable. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Michelle Saunders, Justin Eacock, and Kelly Robotham. 